This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me, as she does every single week from down in Australia, it's Kate Walsh. And, you know, Kate, it's it's late afternoon here in Japan, a little bit behind you in time, and it's that time of day where I'm always a bit peckish, and that slice of pecan pie you've got right there looks awfully good. Yeah, it is looking pretty good, nice and uh, sticky, and um, it goes perfectly with uh, my dinner, um, which is a pan-fried catfish this evening. Wow, so something's going on here. You've got pecan pie, you've got Mm. pan-fried catfish. I guess the next thing you're going to tell me is you've got some Georgia peaches on hand. (laughs) What's the occasion, Kate? Well, <laughs> I've also got a mint julep to, to back it up. But um. <laughs> So what's the occasion? What, what is it with all this southern food you've got there? Well, I believe the occasion is that tonight we're celebrating Trip Tucker III, and what better way to do it? With all his favorite foods, of course. That's yeah. right. You know, as we talk about the various elements of Enterprise, we've been talking about the main characters from time to time. We haven't talked about Trip yet. We we talked about Hoshi a couple of weeks ago. And of course, we've examined Archer and T'Pol in depth. And speaking of those last two there today, we're going to put that final piece of Enterprise's triumvirate into place with Trip Tucker. Okay, before we go any further, though, I've just got to, I've just got to tell you one thing. Keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We're going to keep a family-friendly podcast going here. So, all right. Anyway, Trip is one of my favorite characters on Enterprise, possibly number one on my list, and I'm glad we're finally making our way down to engineering today. But, Kate, tell me what you think about Trip Tucker. Um, I think Trip's probably my favorite character in the whole series. There's um, an innocence about him that makes for some really good storylines, especially in that first season. So, um, yeah, he's definitely a standout. I think it is those those top three characters, Archer, Trip, and T'Pol, that are fleshed out the most in the series. So, you know, it, it's natural that we're going to be drawn towards them more. Um, but it's not just Trip, it's Connor Trenier, and he does such a wonderful portrayal of Trip. Right. Uh, you really get a yeah. sense of, of him in the character and authenticity. 
That's the thing too. It's it's not just that he's one of the most fleshed out characters because, you know, you have characters on shows that are main characters who are very fleshed out, but you don't necessarily connect with those characters and they're not necessarily your favorite characters. But one reason Trip is one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character on the show, is I think very much like you said, because of Connor himself. And it's because Trip is he's us. He's like the the good old everyday uh, guy on the ship who you can associate with. He's um he's he's okay with being out there on the voyage, but he's not necessarily gung ho to be in space and everything's new to him as it would be for us and mm. and he's just very relaxed about it. Well, he's not, certainly, as you say, he's not gung-ho about being out there in space. He He's quite natural about it, but at the same time, he's got such an enthusiasm when these opportunities are presented to him, you know, exactly right. what you would expect of someone that, that is quite humble and, you know, and modest and down-to-earth, but then is seeing these wonderful opportunities to go on board new spaceships and to meet new species and... And the way in which he does that is, is with you know, such a childlike innocence that you can't help but like him. Right. Well, you know, the description of the character leading into the series described him as as thrill-seeking. Mm. And that's sort of what you're saying there. It said that Trip Tucker is a Southerner who isn't above using his country charm to disarm people. Not one to shy away from adventure, Tucker's life before boarding the Enterprise is thrill-seeking. His past experiences range from working on an ocean reclamation project in the Florida Keys to a budding career in orbital engineering, building starships at Utopia Planitia. His skills exhibited in a hostile environment have earned Tucker the reputation as a top-notch troubleshooter who takes challenges that most engineers might think impossible. So that's that's the description of Trip Tucker that was put there to set up the mm. character going into the series. How do you see that comparing with the character we ended up with? I, I think it's fairly accurate. Uh, you know, Connor himself talking about Trip before uh, the show started in uh, a piece that Kevin Dilmore wrote, uh, Connor said that he's a smartass but he's really into the voyage. He's excited about what they're doing and that no one has ever done it before. His humor can be a little unnerving with the aliens because they don't know what to do with him. And I guess by that, he means the aliens. I think he means to pull and flux on the ship as opposed to random aliens that they meet, you know, as they're going. Uh, Connor said he's a go-getter and he calls a spade a spade. Trip is a space cowboy in a sense. If he was around now, he'd be working in the pit crew for a NASCAR driver. He's a little <laughs> gritty and all that. And I think obviously that's how Connor saw the character and how he played it. But I think that matches quite well with the description of the character as it was set up for the series. And as it played out, I think it's pretty accurate to him. Of course, he mellows, you know, he becomes more comfortable and he mellows along the way, especially thanks to his relationship with DePaul, which we'll talk about a bit as well. But uh, the Southern charm to disarm people is there. I, I always see, even though he's the engineer on the ship, I always associate Trip more with Dr. McCoy than I do with Scotty. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I can see that too. Um, 
But isn't yeah, isn't that a part of that? That's that triumvirate thing again, you know, the the three parter, and then he really represents right. Doctor McCoy in that sense. But but not just that part, not that aspect so much that he was used more than other characters because he was part of the triumvirate, but just the personality, mm. uh, the southern charm, his way of speaking, not just the accent, but just his frankness. I feel kind of the way he sees the world. Well, I can see like Bones is kind of maybe an older trip. You know, the mm. younger trip is more the thrill seeking. Bones is is wiser, but they just really strike me as having so many similarities. Mm. Um, the only thing that stood out to me in that description of trip that doesn't quite sit right, and it might just be my interpretation of the word. And that's thrill-seeking. To me, I, I associate that word with recklessness, and I don't see that with Trip. I, he certainly is looking for experiences, yeah, and, you know, and to live life to its fullest. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the word. Well, I think it's how you interpret the word. I, you yeah. could interpret it as you said as being reckless, or you could interpret it as someone really looking to experience new things. And mm-hmm. I think that in that respect it fits his character yeah that that he really wants but i mean think about going over to the zerillian ship i mean that was that was uh, i would be nervous myself if i were in that situation my first time out really in deep space i'm going to go to this alien ship i know i'm going to have to go through some kind of bizarre acclimation Mm. process in order to get onto the ship in the first place I don't know. It seems pretty thrilling to me. And that's without even knowing that I got to stick my hands in a box of pebbles after I got here. <laughs> and would end up with a couple of extra nipples as a result. <laughs> that's right. I get the wrist nipple. <laughs> I mean, it, it's easy to laugh at that episode. It is a funny episode, but there are some great trip moments in it. And the fear that he experiences as he's going through that process of acclimatization and yeah. feeling really ill and scared. Um, it, it, I th- just think Connor handles that so well. Um, and, and so I, there's a lot to like in that episode. And, and then as, as he struggles to deal with people's reactions to what's happened to him and the, the making fun of him, but also the um, questioning of his integrity. So it, there is a lot of good things in that episode. Most definitely. And as Brandon mentioned when he was on the show, uh, his favorite show is the Andy Griffith show. And I feel there's a lot of that influence in Trip in the creation of the character and the way the character is written. Well, absolutely. There's, as I said, there's that real innocence, that country charm, that family values that you can see in Trip that I, that I can see, you know, I can see why Branham would have compared Trip to, um, to Andy Griffith, but the other thing that, that Brandon mentioned in that interview is that perhaps of all of the Enterprise characters, he said that he thought that Trip was probably the most science fictiony, and uh, by that he actually meant that he was the closest to the Data or or um, you know the EMH, the character exploring humanity. And uh, because mm. of that innocence. So I thought that was a really interesting take on Trip as well. That striving to be human. Even though he was already human, we got to see his yeah. humanity explored as the show moves through those first couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I don't know. 
if I don't know if I see that or I, I see the innocence part that that part mm. I get and with data. I think maybe it's the in the child childlikeness of of those yeah, characters. In that respect, there is a similarity to data there. In terms of being the science fictiony character mm. and seeking to be human, I, I don't really, I don't really see no. that. But I do think that he is a character through which Enterprise explores humanity at that point in time. Well, he's a point of view character for us. Yeah, right? just like Hoshi is as well, because of the way they're they're experiencing these things for the first time. So, so yeah, I can see that. Another thing Brandon said, and this wasn't in the interview that he did here on Warp 5, but this is going all the way back to an interview he did with Larry for Communicator, the magazine, prior to the launch of the show. Mm. And he described Trip. He said, Trip, our engineer, is a brilliant engineer, but he's no different than a really brilliant, young, eager physicist today and that he doesn't know how to act amid alien civilizations. Mm. He's not a diplomat. And that quote from Brandon there kind of ties in for me with what you're describing here, that mm. he's more like us. Uh, he's eager to get out there, but he doesn't know how to act. And we see that yeah. definitely, especially in Broken Bow, when they're down on Rigel 10 and the, the alien mother is trying to wean her child so that her child yeah. can learn to breathe the regular atmosphere. And, and Tripp's reaction to that is very much... Which is a human reaction, though, which maybe is why I don't see the wanting to trying to become human part. It's a very human reaction, but it's also a human reaction of not knowing how to deal with things around you that you're not familiar with. Well, I think I'd make two points about that. That particular reaction, yes, it's it's a natural human reaction, but it, it also is perhaps an immature reaction given that it is. You know, yeah. We've started mm -hmm. to become used to getting out into space, and and yeah. you would expect that he's, he's, you know, going to expect to to meet other cultures and to see different things, and you know, so even today on Earth we interact with people with different cultural backgrounds, and we might balk a little bit at some of the things that they do, but ultimately we we understand that cultures have different values, and um, right. at least needs to be an effort to understand that those values are different, even if we don't agree right, with right. them. And we see our crew learn that as as the mm. show goes on. And there's also a difference between reacting reacting to those things mm. from the comfort of your own environment. Because, mm. you know, one thing I see here, again, I, I live in Japan and I've lived here for most of my adult life. And what I see here when people move here is that, you know, it takes some time. It takes a lot. Mm. Some people never get it. And then some people, it takes them several years or more before they're able to view the things that people do mm. from the perspective of of a native instead of expecting that you're in another culture mm. and you don't agree with the way they do things and you think they should adapt to you even though you are in their culture mm. and that's a little bit with trip's reaction there you know if, if that had happened on earth we could read the reaction one way. A but little it's, bit it's like a knight in sick bay an archer expecting uh, others to completely accommodate Porthos's peeing habits. Oh, sure. Just put a mat down. It'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other point I was going to make about Trip, and it wasn't so much that, that I think Brandon or, or I are saying that it was about Trip representing a trying to become a human character rather that the role that those characters play in Star Trek are to mm -hmm. 
um, to represent um, humanity for us and right. to allow us to reflect back on the human experience. And I do think yeah. that Trip um, has that role within Enterprise because we sure. get to we get and and, and it's, it's the same with Hoshi in different respects, mm-hmm. but the two of those characters together both have this this innocence and and they're, they're both characters that are very competent and engrossed in their careers. They're great technicians. They're not diplomats. They're not, uh, you know, they're not really career Starfleet people. Even though Troop has had a career in Starfleet, he's an engineer, you know, and and that that's what he does and that's what he loves. And so all this other stuff's really new to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree on all that. What did you think about? Of course, now you live in Australia, so you're not you're not in the U.S. You're not really attuned to the different regional accents in the U.S. and and how they differ. I I would imagine since you're not hearing all of the different ones all the time. What did you think about Tripp's accent? I'm sure you've heard fans talk about his southern accent, and what was your impression of of that? Well, as to start with, we have an awareness of certain regions uh-huh. in America, you know, uh, probably LA, you know, New York, your um, New Jersey kind of accents as well, your Southern accents, although we certainly don't understand the, the variations amongst them. That's what uh, I mean, yeah. What's interesting though is I seem to remember hearing at one point that, I mean, isn't Trip from Florida or was he meant to have been well, Isn't it's it interesting. almost more like a Texan accent? I'm not sure. I, I, I remember hearing there was confusion about where he was from versus the accent he was portraying. It's interesting that you say that because now ultimately Tripp is from Panama City, Florida, which is right below Alabama and in, in the panhandle of Florida there. But initially in the writing, it wasn't really specified where he was from. He was just a southern uh, gentleman, you know, there was the bit about the fact that mm-hmm. he had worked on an ocean reclamation project in the Florida Keys, but that didn't mean he was from there. Mm-hmm. It could have just been where where he was working. So he was just southern, and so I've always been impressed because I am a southerner, although I don't so much sound like one these days because I've been away for a long time and and accents shift uh, because of your surroundings. But uh, I always you you can hear a lot of really bad southern accents on television that you know, people try to do mm, southern accents mm. and you you as a southerner you hear it and you say that's that's not and i have to accent. say one of the worst southern accents i've ever heard is from colin from trek news and views it's absolutely <laughs> appalling that. and i'm gonna say that again and again <laughs> it's appalling colin stop it now <laughs> you've told me that before you've told me that before so but with trip i i think he does the accent pretty well but it turns out that Connor is from Washington State, which is about as mm. far away from Southern as you can get. But there's a twist to it, which is that Connor's mother and her family are from Southern Missouri and Arkansas. And Arkansas in particular, you know, that's getting down there where it really is a Southern accent. Mm. And so he grew up hearing that Southern drawl around him all the time. So it's not exactly like an actor having no experience with the mm. accent and having to figure out like how to imitate it. He had heard that himself all the time growing up. And so, so he says that he, this again was in an interview before the show started. 
he said that he was going to try to do a middle of the road Oklahoma and not go too deep south with it. Now, I have to ask Larry if his middle of the road Oklahoma accent is authentic or not, because Larry Nemechek is from Oklahoma, but mm. that's what Connor was going for. And then he said, when it was finally determined that Trip was from Florida, I said, well, come on, guys, I'm not doing Florida. So you're right. That's basically what you're hearing there. But but he pulls off the accent uh, pretty well. It's it's believable for sure. Yeah, I, I occasionally hear Australian actors on TV who can do a relatively convincing Australian accent, except for a couple of words, and you just hear, yeah. you know, the vowels pronounced just a little broader mm. than, than they should be. <laughs> But I love the accent because it's part of what helps me connect with him, again, not because of any Southern connection, but just mm. because it feels, he feels so authentic. And it, it just feels like someone you can sit down with, you have a drink with, you could chat, he feels like a real person. Mm. And it helps me really connect with the character and therefore everything that they do with the character in the writing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice touch. It really does add to the depth of that character. It might have been a bit disturbing if we'd had a Vulcan with a southern accent, though. <laughs> now, that would have been quite funny. Yes, it would. All right, well, why don't we move on to another topic, Kate, and talk about something that we touched on just briefly earlier, and that's the shipboard romance between mm. Trip and Paul. Yeah, and we have uh, spoken about this uh, a little bit before. But, um, you know, as I was um, preparing for this show and looking over the various episodes where we see interactions between Tripp and T'Pol, I what I found really interesting is it's not until, and we did say a little bit of this last week, it's not until T'Pol gets exposed to Trillium D that we mm -hmm. really see the romantic side of that relationship develop. Up until that point, what we, we see is perhaps uh, at first quite a bit of tension, you know, Troop's prejudice towards Vulcans as, as much as Archer had, and then maybe a little bit of a friendship develop out of necessity in terms of uh -huh. Troop being there for to poll uh, in dealing with what was going on with her fiancé. But, um, you know, even in um, Shuttlepod 1, it's Reed that first mentions to poll as someone that might be sexy who has a cute butt you know That's trip right. had never even considered it he was quite surprised yeah. he's thinking yeah but she's vulcan that's right uh reed on the other hand that was on his mind all the time <laughs> good old stinky but you know even for two seasons we really don't see much of a relationship there between the two of them yeah you know this is something that we talked about this week on the Ready Room, actually. Uh, Matthew and I were on there. We had Larry on with us, and we did the catwalk. And the conversation, what, what it started with us talking about Archer and T'Pol and the bit in the catwalk where they're up there. And as Matthew put it really well, they're kind of like the odd couple up there mm. uh, you're trying to get some rest, and they're disturbing each other. Uh, but then Larry asked us what we thought about whether there was any potential for that relationship between T'Pol and Archer. And then that led us to T'Pol and Tripp. And what we discussed was what you're saying, 
with the Trillium D and well, the Pinar syndrome and then the Trillium D, kind of these two things together, mm-hmm. I felt led her to to play more loosely with her emotions. So what what Larry said was if the writers were going to chalk it up to drug addiction, like, okay, to Paul wouldn't normally do these things or get in this relationship with Trip mm-hmm. or anything else if it weren't for the drug addiction. That's one way to read it. But I, but I feel like maybe uh, those feelings were there. Now, with with Trip, maybe not so much. But with T'Pol, maybe it had been developing before we saw it. Mm. And the Trillium D addiction especially helped her to to loosen up a lot and to be willing to explore that. And that's how I see it from T'Pol's side. Now, from Trip's side, um, maybe experiences growing over the course of all these uh, missions that had gone on, becoming more comfortable with aliens and such. But he still seemed really hesitant or nervous about it at Mm. first. What do you think really opened Trip up to the relationship? Well, just to touch briefly on T'Pol's side, the thing that tells me that there was something in it for T'Pol before uh, the Panar syndrome and the Trillium D was the episode Breaking the Ice. Now, this is where, as I said, she was dealing with the letter that she'd received about her um, pending marriage. And Tripp had read it because uh, they thought that it was some covert message from the Vulcans. And he told T'Pol that he'd read that letter. And so he helped her with that particular problem and was the only one she could talk to because she didn't want to share it with anyone else. And Mm -hmm. he made her see that she had choices. It was the moment where he uh, shared with her that how much he loves pecan pie. And at the end of the episode, we see her having a piece of pie. And I felt that that, that particular that closing scene planted the seed for her letting him into her life, her taking on board things that he had to say and giving him a chance, um, at, you know, letting a friendship in that she might not have considered before. And I think it's quite natural that friendship could lead to more feelings if she was open to it, which she became as a result of Panars and Trillium D. As far as Trip goes, um, it's a difficult one, but we do have the episode Similitude where Sim expresses feelings for T'Pol and he doesn't know whether they're his feelings or Trip's. And that hints at, for the probably for the first time, I think that maybe Trip did had feelings that he just hadn't expressed that hadn't come out in other plot lines. Mm-hmm. Got us thinking about you know what's he thinking, um, and of course it it goes on to develop from there when they get into the Vulcan neuro pressure. You know it's hard to say. It's a friendship that develops over time. Feelings can right. develop, and it was certainly hinted at that Trip had been developing those feelings through that sim stuff but um I, i'm not entirely sure where it would have come from it wasn't as obvious as as to how trip developed those it was just right. kind of thrown in with that episode right it's a clearer path for me to see how to gets there yeah. than it is to see how trip gets there but as you said it's a a working relationship turned friendship that develops over time they become closer together Sometimes those things turn into romantic relationships, as they did with Trip and Paul. So, well, what what so they get there stands out to me, and and you've already hinted at it, is that 
in that first season in particular, it's like the writers were getting uh, something with Archer and T'Pol. There were quite a few encounters yeah, that, was, that, was that hinted at that. And, and I yeah. know that, you know, they kind of played with it again in A Night in Sick Bay and, and it was dismissed at that point as, you know, well, good thing we're not attracted to each other, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and it, But it still kind of came in and out. And it seemed like a more obvious path at that point than Trip and Paul. More obvious, maybe, but in, in terms I don't know. Of writing, I don't think not in terms of necessarily a great storyline. <laughs> well, actually, I think it, it it would have been a very interesting storyline, as as again we discussed on the ready room. But I um, I'm not sure it was ever really there as much as it's the fans reading it as being there going to feel that way so but uh, i do encourage everyone who's listening to this enterprise fans the current episode of the ready room which is episode 119 which is about the catwalk uh go listen to that because we talk a lot about to paul and archer in there before we get to the trip stuff so mm. you can uh, you see where that was going but but it turned out to be with to paul and trip turned out to be a really nice relationship and i think it achieved some of what the to paul archer storyline would have achieved which is that you you took a vulcan who could never imagine being with a human and you took a human who could never imagine being with a vulcan mm. and you brought them together and then they ultimately end up with a child you know the mm. the, the first run of a vulcan human hybrid which of course was not successful in this case, but it planted a lot of seeds that that lead towards Amanda and Sarah and Spock down the road. Yeah, I think it it developed quite nicely, um, and I really liked the way that it was handled at the start of the um, the fourth season as well. Right, Home's a great episode. Mm -hmm. it, it, I remember watching Home recently and thinking, you know, this hadn't explicitly been made out to be a relationship it was one of those non-relationship relationships where they they really need to have that talk about you know where are we going <laughs> and they yeah. just hadn't had it yet and it was it was implied and um but nevertheless it seemed quite strong at that point which which was unusual but i think i think that's what any relationship with a vulcan is going to be like well, let's move from romance to bromance and talk a little bit about Trip and Archer, who, mm. you know, for me, it's not exactly like when I think of bromance, I think of Miles and Jules on DS9, because that <laughs> really is like a bromance. Uh, oh, maybe Harry Data and, and Jordy a little bit. Harry and Tom, yeah, a little bit. Archer Even and Trip, uh, J Jules and Garrick. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree there is defining that as a bromance that was a very interesting relationship that they had but uh, you know this sort of i think Bashir was very intrigued by garrick and garrick enjoyed pulling Bashir strings i think more uh, than anything yeah but um i i mean i'm not i don't see Bashir and garrick throwing darts together or reenacting the alamo together or those those types of things or <laughs> i don't see um bashir you know, garrick and garrick ever... are the have chemistry though bashir they and do, miles yeah. have 
you know, long-term relationship material, whereas with Garrick, it's more like a fling. Right, right. Well, I, you know, Bashir was so into the the, the spy stories and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, Garrick was right there incarnate. But, but as for, you know, Trip and Archer, there's definitely the friendship bind there yeah. as well. I think a very, very close friendship bind. But I think that maybe because of the command structure, it, it isn't exactly a, a bromance relationship for me because the, the, the captain by nature has to be a little bit more standoffish in his position on the ship. But there's no mm -hmm. doubt that I think Archer trusts Trip implicitly, perhaps more mm -hmm. than anyone else in his life. And I think the same is true of Trip and the way that he trusts Archer. I think they can both depend on each other. Absolutely. I mean, we yeah. see Trip support Archer in first flight, uh, you know, and put his own career on the line. We see in um, Strange New World how Archer gets Trip through the situation where, you know, he's under uh, the effect of hallucinogens and is about to kill T'Pol. And, mm -hmm. and Archer says, you know, you've trusted me before when we were in our um, training in, in, a, in Outback Australia, our survival training, I ask you to trust me now. And it's it's absolute and, and perhaps not a bromance, but certainly an extremely close friendship. Right. Well, they watch water polo together. <laughs> and that's going to test any friendship. <laughs> But you can tell, like in those early dinners with Archer and Trip and Topol together, uh, have, having their dinners, you can really feel the the history and the friendship between Archer and Trip, which which had to serve to help Topol feel even more like an outsider than she already did. One of my favorite moment moments in the friendship with those two is when Trip gets the nipples, and they're having the discussion with Flocks and. It's taking everything Archer's got in him not to laugh out loud at Tripp saying, I, I had no plans to be a working mother. <laughs> and then again at the dinner following that, it's like, yeah, that that's beautiful. That's just what you want a best friend to be doing is laughing at your expense. But it's, it's, it's just such good character stuff. Well, that's when you take everything into consideration after you've watched the whole series and you, you think about their history together in the mm -hmm. NX program and how they met and how Trip helped Archer stealing the NX beta mm -hmm. and all that stuff. It's just the history that Archer and Trip have together and why Archer chose Trip in the first place. So so the richness of that relationship. And then, like you say, he's sitting there watching his friend, who's now pregnant with an alien baby, <laughs> say... I never expected to be a working mother. It would be really, really hard not to, not just to laugh, right? Um, going back to that, um, where they first met in the first flight episode, I have actually heard some fan criticism about that. Uh, the, the people that have suggested that they felt that the placement of Trip in that episode was contrived, that there was nothing of, of anything else in Enterprise to support it, that it was really just kind of planted there and didn't have any real substance. How do you interpret that? Um, I think it's called writing and creating <laughs> a 
a history for your character. I don't understand that. I I don't know. I don't. I've I've never thought that, and I I don't know how you how you back up that mm. position because I mean you can. I mean, if someone just tells me out completely out of context mm. that that seems contrived, I mean maybe, but is it any more contrived than Spock and uh, Kirk? being at the Academy mm. together or in the Abrams first well, that Spock wrote the program for the Kobayashi Maru or, I mean, th- there are a million things in Star Trek that you can point to and say that the placement of this character here in order to create a historical connection between mm. two characters is contrived. I, I think that um, you have to give the writers license to create a history for their characters. And I think in this particular instance, it's quite legitimate. I mean, Archer, was going to handpick his staff for the program, so mm-hmm. um, or for for the the first ex, uh, for his ship. So it would make sense that he's met his senior staff somewhere before, so that he would have confidence right. in choosing those people. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, Trip was also uh, one of the best engineers around, so we would expect him to show up in the leading pilot program, or at least to be around the place somewhere at the time. Well, Trip. Trip again. This comes from First Flight, I know, but Trip was a crew member under Captain Jeffries, mm. for whom, again, this is of course retconning it in universe. The Jeffries tubes on the Enterprise mm. are named after this captain in the future. So it makes sense that he would have been around the NX program, and as you say, it makes sense that Archer would be choosing someone he knows and trusts for his crew. So I I don't understand uh how anyone would really have an issue with Trip being mm. in that position in that episode. Mm. It's convenient, sure, but like I said, yeah. so many things are convenient if you really want to break them down that way. I mean, it's not like we saw Archer going off to get lunch in the um, cafeteria and he runs into Hoshi and says, what can you recommend? And she says, the miso soup. And you know, he <laughs> loved it so much that he thinks I've got to have this girl on my ship. No, no, you know, no. It- she would say, <laughs> she would say uh, stay away from the miso soup today. It's too salty. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so, but, but it's a great friendship that they have. We do get a lot of friendship moments with with Trip and Archer though um I especially like Desert Crossing in terms of the way that it builds their relationship you know mm-hmm. once again it's a survival environment so there's a lot at stake in the same way that there was um in the NX beta program and and there always are these high stakes situations for the two of them it's what continues to build their friendship so I think that that's actually an episode that that is probably underrated in the scheme of Enterprise and particularly season one, but I think it adds a lot. And we get to see yeah. Trip shirtless as well. <laughs> I, I know that's a big plus for a lot of viewers. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those episodes where like the episode itself as a whole, maybe not as memorable as others, but if you are watching for specific points, mm. it has a lot to offer there. You know, there are many, many episodes throughout Star Trek that you can watch for specific points and it makes them very, very valuable episodes. The other episode that deals with their relationship that is very significant is Similitude. And this is the episode where we get the clone of Trip in order to essentially 
harvest what they need to save the real troop. And Archer takes a decision that could be considered quite questionable ethically and Phlox has some difficulty with that even though he recommended that option to Archer. But Archer is willing to do anything to save Trip. And in the context of that season and the things that also happen in the episode Damage where he steals the warp coils, it adds a lot of depth to Archer's character and the struggles that he faces with, with ethical decisions at that time. But it shows us the depth of that friendship as well. And that makes me think about in Cogenitor, the end of Cogenitor. Mm. And it's another reason why I see it a little bit less as a bromance. And uh, there are times where I see the relationship between Archer and Trip almost as a father-son relationship, yeah. even though the age difference is not such to support that type of relationship, mm. but maybe it's more like a mentor in a way. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a friendship, An older brother but, but thing. yeah, an older brother thing. Yeah, that's probably a good example because of uh, Trip. I know he looks up to Archer mm. as well, and you can see it at the end of Cogenitor where he really gets taken to task by Archer for what yeah. he did that resulted in the suicide of the Cogenitor. And you can tell the disappointment that Archer has in Trip, And at the same time, you can tell that Trip really feels that he let Archer down. And yeah. it's that, that feeling that you have, like, would you let your, you let a friend down as someone that you look up to and it affects you. So it's not that it's a bromance. It's just that they're bros. They're just bros, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is a it is a great friendship and a great relationship as well. Uh, I, I feel you know Archer and Topol. I feel are the are the main two characters with whom Trip has these close relationships mm. on the ship. Are there any moments that stand out for you with other characters? Yeah, I would say I really... besides Shuttle Pod One with Reed because that's a very mm. very obvious one. But beyond that, I do enjoy the relationship with Reed in general um and you know just I mean off the top of my head there aren't I mean we do see that relationship with Reed develop again in dead stop when they get into mischief and do things that they shouldn't uh -huh. be doing yeah. to find out what's going on with the station right. they're like naughty schoolboys, you know getting up <laughs> to no good and getting drunk and talking about bums and getting into places they shouldn't be and, you know, and they're so different. Uh, but, uh, and, we, we know, that's really demonstrated in Shadow Pod 1, which is why that's such a great episode. But yet it, it's fun to see the way that they interact and, and that Malcolm just starts to loosen up a little bit through his yeah. relationship with Trip. So I really enjoy that friendship. I think that it's explored probably in more subtle ways. You know, there aren't too many episodes that look at it really overtly. We get the um, episode Two Days and Two Nights where they're off yeah, out on the town and, and the Trip's got his loud shirt to, to make sure he gets maximum attention. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was saving for my favourite moments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's so probably it, another relationship I really enjoy watching yeah. on the show. So he has his moments with, with everyone in the crew. But uh, it, it's definitely within the triumvirate that mm. most of the stories that really 
a highlight trip, unless it's solo mm. trip, like Precious Cargo, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I said I wasn't going to talk about today, but... <laughs> But who can resist talking about that episode? But there are so many moments between Archer and Trip Trip and Tapal. Well, okay, let's go to favorite trip moments then, because we were just mentioning those right there. And since it just came up, I'll just go ahead and jump in. One of my favorite trip moments, one of my fun moments, was trip with Reed on Ryza in two days and two nights with the loud shirt on going into the bar to pick up women. They think that they've hit the jackpot and then they end up getting tied up in their Starfleet blue undies down in the basement. By some guys. <laughs> By some guys, some alien dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, and it's, it's such a funny episode. It's, um, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's a standout from my perspective in terms of you know, overall quality of the season, but there are some really fun moments. And of course, Hoshi's the only one that has any luck at all in the end. Wow. Uh, yeah, Hoshi rises her place. She's, <laughs> she fits right in there. Um, we all, also, of course, have the moment in the pilot where they're at, I think, is it the pilot? And they're at the bar and they're watching the women with the long tongues eating the butterflies. Yeah, that's in Broken Bow. Yeah. 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 So. Trip has a lot of moments with women, not all of them that successful. That's right. Another favorite moment of mine, is, a fun moment, is when in the communicator, when they're working on the Suliban ship and he accidentally cloaks his forearm because <laughs> there's just so much, there's so much fun that they get to have with that, especially Flox giving him the glove <laughs> to wear until it fully decloaks itself. Yeah, the, there is. There's so much they could have done with that. They they did a lot with it, and it was it was a funny, certainly a funny moment. Yeah. But um, I can only imagine when they were fleshing out that element of the the teleplay and thinking, what can we do with this? And the ideas that must have been put forward and got rejected. <laughs> but that's for another so. episode. <laughs> Um, Any I other also, fun moments that you like? Yeah, I really enjoy um, Tripp's storyline in Singularity, which is, of course, the episode where they all go a little bit loopy. And, of course, Tripp's yeah. absolutely obsessed with the captain's chair. Yeah, I have that um, on my list as well. such yeah. an important duty. Uh, <laughs> and I think he gets into a fight with Reed, uh, you know, over the the priority of the captain's chair versus the Reed alert. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the obsession with the chair. I, it's just like <laughs> he's the engineer, but he becomes the handyman at that point, and he's just really, really obsessed with making the best chair that uh, Starfleet with could possibly With cup holder. Make. With the cup holder, yeah. So, um, you know, cup holder would have been handy. I think they should have kept that on the chairs because if you think about in the original series, <laughs> think about how often the yeoman comes around with a little plate of Dixie cups with the drinks in them to hand out. Oh, absolutely. Kirk um, needs somewhere to put his cup. I mean, what, what are you going to do in a battle? You know, you've, you've, you've got to get straight to it. You've got to be focused and you don't want to be holding a cup and thinking, what the hell am I going to do with this? You want to have somewhere to put it while you focus. That's right. And you don't want to get cocky like Sulu did in the Undiscovered Country and have like nice china with tea just sitting out on your chair. You never know when a shockwave is going to come through. Another favorite moment for me is in the episode Kanama where they have been taken 
prisoner on the assumption that they were smuggling and he's sitting mm. next to that other alien and this guy just won't shut up and he's getting oh, more yeah. and more annoyed as the episode goes yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> right. And this he's, guy he's just like, so laid back and patient is just losing it. <laughs> he was just like any one of us, we've all been there on a flight somewhere on the airplane mm. where the person next to you won't stop talking to you. <laughs> That's it. You're trying to read a book, you're trying to do something else, and they're just telling you their their life story. Yep. And I'm guessing that another one of your favorite moments is Tripp's interaction with Feasel Flocks. Oh yes. Oh yes. That's that that was brilliantly <laughs> written. <laughs> Which of course we did discuss on the ready room uh, in relation yeah. to the episode Stigma. I also love uh the role that Trip takes on in hosting movie night. Oh yeah. He even hosts at one point the Bride of Chaotica. Oh, did he do the Bride of Chaotica? He did. Okay. I, I knew he was really into Frankenstein. Mm, I think Frankenstein the best movies is his ever, favorite movie. But... Yeah. Also the Bride of Frankenstein and the Son of Frankenstein. I think yeah. they should have staged their own. They should have shot their own film on the ship. The Dog of Frankenstein. <laughs> what is it? Franken-Canine. You know, <laughs> Frank-Canine. Yes. <laughs> Actually, on the catwalk, which, again, we did this week on Ready Room, they were having movie night in the catwalk. And... Mm. Oh, she's like, we're doing movie night up here. He says, yeah, it's captain's orders. It's the day the earth stood still. So even in that confined area up there, they were still mm. going to do movie night. So what about serious moments? So those are our favorite fun moments of trips. What are a few of your favorite serious moments for him in the series? I think my absolute favorite serious moment with Trip is in home when he's uh, gone out um, on his date with Topol. And she's told him that she's going to get married. Yeah. And you, you see that, uh, that emotion and that, that devastation as he comes to realize for the first time that he loves her. And yeah. at the same moment, he knows he's lost it. Yeah, that, that is a wonderful moment. For, for me, really, not only that moment, but all of his interactions with T'Pol's mother, just mm. you know, fixing the food replicator, all these things that he does. Uh, I, I love that whole storyline because you can just really feel there that he really cares about Paul. Her mother mm. can sense that being a parent, especially seeing how how this guy feels about your daughter. And yet Tripp is, you know, he knows we're, we're here because of, this is why we're here. You know, Paul's mm. going to have to marry. The whole interaction with her mother is is really nice for me. It's another. It's a small moment as well for me, but one that I do like, and you would almost you'd blink and you'd miss it. But it's in fight or flight, and it's their first opportunity to really explore an alien ship. And he so desperately wants to go on that ship, and he's not allowed to because, you know, as Archer said, at, at this point, Enterprise still needs its chief engineer on board, and just that that disappointment. It's such a wonderful expression of, you know, the flip side of his enthusiasm and his hopefulness mm -hmm. and, you know, that spirit of exploration. Right. Yeah. Also, some of my favorite moments have to do with, 
with his growth as he gets used to being in space and interacting with other species. And I mentioned earlier Cogenitor and how disappointed Archer was at the end. And and I I don't agree with Tripp's actions in that episode because, it, but it was a, it was a learning a learning moment for him that his initial reactions are are natural in terms of we see someone who we feel is being held back and, and we feel bad and we want to help them, but we don't think about the consequences of mm-hmm. our actions. But it, just the kindness and concern that Tripp had for the cogenitor in that episode, mm. I really like because again, it shows the, it shows Tripp learning to look beyond uh, humanity, uh, humans themselves and, and start to, apply the way that he would approach people on earth on a broader scale, which is something I think here on earth people have to do. It's not mm-hmm. something you understand when you're a kid. It's not something you understand even when you're a teenager or even when you're in university. It's something that with the right experiences you learn as you grow older to to see everyone equally instead of only the people in your town or your state or your country. Mm-hmm. And in Star Trek, we're putting that on a galactic scale, dealing with aliens. And as we talked about earlier, with Trip being a point of view character for us, in this sense, that was a great moment in the series for him. We also see some great moments in season three, as he comes to terms with the death of his sister. And then again yeah. later in the episode, The Forgotten, when he's trying to process writing a letter in relation to a lost crew member who was under his command. Oh, and yes, that's right. Yep. So there were some really good moments as, as he deals with the more serious issues that come up in that, that season. Yeah, that's a really strong moment. That That's mm. a really good one. You mentioned the death of his sister. This was one other bit that uh, I had pulled out from some questions that had been asked of Connor uh, back before the show launched. Uh, not before the show launched. This was actually, of course, um, in season three after the the Zindi thing had happened, and they they asked him. I want to say it was Dan Madsen interview. Uh, it could have been something else, but they asked him about how do you how do you play the fun loving trip that we've known in the aftermath of your sister being killed by the Zindi, mm-hmm. and. What Connor said, I, I thought I find these things interesting just because of, especially if an actor can play a character who just feels so natural that you don't feel like they're acting. You know, what did mm-hmm. they draw upon for this? And he said that I looked at it sort of like my own life. There are some people who have passed away that I cared about a great deal, but I am still a fun-loving person myself who just has moments of darkness. That's how people behave and people react. If you don't keep on going you're you sort of get swallowed up by the pain of it all mm-hmm. and it was interesting and it's something you know i lost about two years ago year and a half ago i lost my father and so i've had that feeling as well where i've you know i have moments where i really think about it and then but i know most of the time i have to go on and i, mm-hmm. I have to move forward and i think it's a great uh way of approaching enterprise itself which was that you know things happen Everything's new. Things are going to happen to us while we're out there. And we have to just keep going on and keep moving forward. But I also think like in life for all of us, when we go through those difficult times and when Trip 
went through that and the loss of his sister, he came out the other side such a stronger and more mature character. Right, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it takes those tragedies to grow in that way, unfortunately. Mm. But that that's, uh, you know, the, the course of life. So um, one more final favorite moment for me, a uh, serious one, which is following the same path I'm following here, which is the growth and getting more comfortable. And that's in Oasis, at the end of Oasis, when he kisses Liana and he's made her the, he's programmed the food replicator with five flavors of ice cream. <laughs> it's only five, but they're good ones. And she asks him if, well, it's Rocky Road in there. He's like, you didn't think I'd send you off that Rocky Road now, did you? And and they have this this just this little kiss, but again, it's just that concern. And there he's he's treating this alien uh, in a way that you can tell that he doesn't see her as alien at all. He sees mm. her as just another being, and and he's concerned for her her well being and her future mm. through that episode. And so again, it was growth for him, and I really like that moment. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts on trip, Kate? Before we wrap up here. As I've said, Trip is probably my favourite character in all of Enterprise. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think he's, he was a very popular character in the series and I think the reason for that for a lot of people is because he's so relatable. And that's largely due to Connor Trenier's portrayal of him. Uh, yeah. Brannon has said in the season one Blu-rays that he thought that Connor just brought so much more to the character than he ever expected. You know, and, and that's something that I'd just like to acknowledge that, it, you know, it's not just the writing, it's his acting ability and down-to-earth nature of Connor himself. Oh, definitely. I could not agree more. Well, it's been great really examining Trip with you today, Kate, and we'll come back and do some more characters periodically on the show. We have a number of main cast members to get to. Are we going to do a Porthos, a dedicated Porthos show, Kate, as a cast member? I, I'm thinking we might actually do a two-parter. A two-parter, okay. Mm. <laughs> the other side of the cheese. Well, he does That's have four be, legs right? instead of two, so. Okay, well, then he deserves two episodes. I gotcha. <laughs> so, so we'll come <laughs> back to uh, characters in the future, but Trip isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on Trek FM this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Gene Roddenberry. I appreciate Gene Roddenberry as a creator because he had a vision and he stuck to it, unlike other creators of other franchises that we won't get into. Who are you talking about, Drew? Not, not George Lucas. Earl Grey. Romance on TNG. I got the four pips. I'm, I'm ready to settle down now. It wasn't until then that I could get, get stay with one woman. So instead of rings, do they use that last pip on his collar <laughs> as the, the signal of their eternal love and devotion together? The orb. The Jordan prophecies. <laughs> well, you um, know, I was thinking that Horan was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The ready room. Faces. What you brought up is the exact reason why I like this episode so much because the essential message is we have to have our good and our not-so-hot qualities to make us who we are. We have to 
deal with them. And this is just a very extreme version of that. To the journey! Workforce Rewrite. And I'm totally with you about Jaffin. He is like Mark version 2.0. He's just like, he's a little too laid back. He's a little too quick to buy into all of this. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, dude, grow a pair. I like the way you put that. Commentary, Trek stars. Black and Cushman, part two. So they were trying to find a replacement, not to play Spock, but to play another Vulcan who would be assigned to the Enterprise. Whoa. And one of the wow. one of the guys they were considering was David Carradine, who went on what? to play. Oh my God. <laughs> Warp five. Continuity and consequences. It was a place that you generally don't expect Star Trek to go with a major character for sure, and certainly not for the the period of time that it went on because you know it starts in fusion she becomes infected with this padar syndrome and then that even leads her to drug addiction trek news and views looking back at tmp oh okay we're still talking tmp i was thinking janeway's pink nighty i know it's like what <laughs> oh janeway's pink noisy i'll be cute yeah yeah you seem to like it uh-huh yeah done before yeah yeah that was that was that was a nice noise though. Literary treks. Bill Wynn. It has two sides to it. You know, you can read it as just the fun yacht race, which I thought the Federation has a biannual sailing competition. I did not know this. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including iTunes. TuneIn, Stitcher, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, you can download or stream from the website. So go there, grab the shows, and hear what we have to say, uh, not only about the television shows, but even about creative beyond Star Trek. We really try to cover it all here on Trek FM. Kate, let's tell people how to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on the show. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose Warp 5, and that will come to both Kate and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. There's a tab that lets you do that using your webcam's microphone. And in the forums, you can talk to us and other listeners about Enterprise and the show. And that's at trek.fm slash forums. Also, if you enjoy Warp 5, please drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you ourselves, and it also helps other listeners find Warp 5 as they search the iTunes store for Star Trek podcasts and especially for Enterprise material. So we would really appreciate you doing that. And then in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek all the time under username TrekFM. Now, Kate, when you're not hiding behind a sand dune with your binoculars trying to spot Trip shirtless as he crosses the desert with Archer, where can people find you? And sweaty. Don't forget sweaty. <laughs> well, as I said, when I'm not behind those sand dunes, you can find me on Twitter at KateIsGreaterK. I've um, actually just been talking with a new subscriber this week, uh, who's been going back and listening to all of our old episodes, including the interviews that we did early on. Uh, so if you are a new listener in particular, send me a tweet and let me know what you think of the show. Sounds great. 
And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then on the network, you can find me on a variety of other shows. I do two shows with Matthew Rushing, The Orb, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, very much in the way that Kate and I talk about Enterprise here. Literary Treks with Matthew, where we talk Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. You can also find me on The Ready Room every week with hosts from all around the network and special guests as we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. And then I also have my own interview show called Matterstream, where I talk to writers and creatives and actors and scientists about topics generally loosely related to Star Trek. And an uh, episode that's out this week, I had a great chat with Armin Shimmerman last weekend uh, about the new film project that he's working on. And we talked a little bit about Deep Space Nine in there as well. So you can uh, find that on the site as well. We'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Iteration. If you like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Warp 5, you'll find that plus nine other jazz renditions of the music from across Star Trek. So you can pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon. And Chris, I hear that it's the perfect accompaniment to a nice romantic dinner of pan-fried catfish and pecan pie. It is, it is. Although the, the bluegrass version is even better for that awesome <laughs> all right and one more thing before we let everyone go we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor who helps us bring warp 5 to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for and that's very true for me i have been an audible subscriber since 2000 so going on 14 years now and I really could not live without Audible. And they are the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So support us and go give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com. And we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the network. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Warp 5 coming to you each week, and that is by adopting some aliens. Well, they're not the kind of aliens that Trip might stick his hand in a box of pebbles with and you know get a wrist nipple or anything like that. They're actually original illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And we have them available as badges and as art prints. And you can mix and match, choose which format you want for each alien. And there are different contribution levels for you to choose from as well. So go find these over at trek.afilm donate. And your support helps us cover the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring Warp 5 to you each week. So we really appreciate you helping us keep the network going at Trek donate. So thanks everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber with Trip for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs> <laughs>